Hey, hey, homebodies, what's happening? It's your girl, the Toad Lady, Rachel Presser, coming at your life from New York. And today, we're going to be getting into, uh, you know, what's actually ruined my hometown's, uh, you know, skyline, amongst other things. Hideous glass luxury towers popped up everywhere, except you can't freaking play whack-a-mole with them, much to my chagrin. So, yeah, these glass towers, you know, are just, like, coming up everywhere you look. And now, I actually got into this before about why, you know, like, pre-war construction, like, um, actually, is actually, like, not as great as post-war based on an experience living in them. But I think that, that, that this, like, super recent, like, wave of, um, of, like, yeah, of the new construction, which is anything after 1990, but I think that, like, even some of, like, the luxury and, like, standard housing of the 90s up to, like, the early 2000s is definitely of higher standard than, like, in these luxury glass towers popping up everywhere now, um, because it's not just a matter of, like, the material quality and all else, it's just that these things are just, like, so obnoxious to look at, and everything they represent is just kind of wrong with, you know, basically, it's like capitalism and neoliberalism in a nutshell. It's just, ugh. Um, you know, it's beyond, like, having, you know, nice amenities or, like, oh, look at, look at how these floor plans are so much bigger than the older apartments. It's just that they're basically, like, these glass shells that don't really have much function and just pointlessly waste energy instead of actually, you know, providing some kind of additional feature or function to the people who live there. Because that's actually the big caveat. A lot of people don't even fucking live there. A lot of these properties are basically just, you know, fancy glass banks being used by far real estate investors who want a place to park their money and, you know, avoid taxes in their home countries. And so... Like, I think I forget what the exact percentage was, but I think only like it's I think like the occupation rate of some of these buildings is something like 20 or 30 percent. Um, you know, if they're actually gonna like you know put them on the market at all, um, a lot of the ones that are just like available for purchase as condos opposed to rentals, um, yeah, they're just basically sitting there empty, you know, being used as banks, like that whole infamous Hudson Yards grift, like, you walk past that huge-ass fish pole, and chances are, like, it's gonna be totally empty. Um, yeah, so that's the thing, it's just that it's not just, you know, the environmental waste, it's not just, like, the, you know, like, the symbolicness of it, um, it's the fact that, like, no one is even living there, but yet, meantime, our homelessness crisis is through the damn roof. Um, you know, in a matter of speaking, anyway. Um, but yet, this is what keeps getting built. This is what keeps getting approved, and and all for what? So, this actually has some historical context that is worth delving into, which I did. You can read on homestratosphere.com about the history of you know, the hideous glass luxury tower, and that, that's the thing, like, glass towers were actually not meant, um, to be used for residential purposes. Um, one of the very first, um, and most prominent uses of glass in commercial architecture was when Mies van der Rohe, a German, um, prominent German architect, like, back in the 40s, you know, designed, um, the Seagram building for, um, for Phyllis Lambert, who was, um, you know, the Seagram, you know, whiskey and ginger ale heiress, 
who basically, you know, yeah, like, had a ton of money and just said, like, hey, dude, go to town, take this, you know, shitload of money and go make something really big and ostentatious that'll, you know, make the secret brand really memorable and make people, you know, curious about this and make people want to work here. And so the Seagram building is actually still standing today. Um, you know, it's still, yeah, this like really big, you know, like shiny glass tower. But of course there's also, because it's not, you know, the 1940s, 1950s anymore, it is not the only big shiny glass tower, um, you know, in that area. Now there's like so many more because yeah, the Seagram building is basically what set the tone for like how, you know, a lot of like, you know, big, shiny, commercial buildings should look. So it's like, oh, you want to flash your cash, you want to show off, have this, like, vulgar display of wealth. This is how you're going to do it, by getting this very expensive, difficult-to-work-with material that also has incredibly, yeah, incredibly expensive um, ongoing needs. Like, heating and cooling a building made of glass is not a cheap endeavor. Um, and so... That's why, yeah, it's kind of interesting that this very concept started to carry over into residential design because, yeah, if, if you're going to, like, actually live in a very obnoxious glass luxury tower, you're showing you have money to burn. So, yeah, you're, you're not really, like, you know, losing sleep over your heating and cooling costs like the average, like the average schmuck, you know, yeah, with a tiny dumpy studio up in the Bronx or with your, like, single-family home out in Queens or in Jersey or something, yeah, you're not exactly going to be, like, looking for ways to go cut your energy bills, like, and energy bills also work differently when you have an apartment for the non-New Yorkers tuning in. <laughs> um, sometimes you do have to pay, you know, yeah, directly, like, to Con Edison, um, you know, which is our cheap energy provider here, other times it actually is included in your rent or your maintenance, but yeah, usually though, like that maintenance fee that you pay or your rent is going to cover a lot of those externalized costs. And then, so that that is partly why, aside from like, yeah, like the amenities and like the glossy um, image and marketing involved with those types of properties, that's partly why they're so horrifyingly expensive because they just literally do cost more to maintain. Um, and so, yeah, it's, like I said, the whole, like, idea of, like, living in the shiny glass shell, like, looking down upon the little people is really what those towers mostly symbolize. And then, um, yeah, like, it was, like, the Olympia Tower and then Trump Tower followed suit after that with, yeah, you know, with the whole concept of, like, oh, you really want to show off and you're not going to be, yeah, like, building this, like, big secretive, you know, mansion right in New York City, like, the way that you would in Long Island or New Jersey if you want to have this big, sprawling estate. Um, you know, we build up here, not like in Los Angeles where you build out. You build up here. So the way that that works is, yeah, you have some, like, really huge, like, you know, like, obnoxious symbol of oligarchy, like that 432 Park Avenue building, which completely altered the skyline. And, you know, you have, you can basically like buy a property there for like several, several million dollars, if not billions, and have a couple floors to yourselves. Like, yeah, it's like even more floors than your average single family home. And apparently, yeah, I think it's only occupied like half the year. Because it goes, once again, 
it's just being used as like you know some really fancy bank to go hide all your cash and not be taxed in your home country and then if you actually are using it it's just like an insanely expensive substitute for a hotel which is goddamn ridiculous um it's just like it's just so wasteful it's just like so like i said like i know i keep like over saying um like it's obnoxious but that's what he is it is fucking obnoxious like it's just no it's such a travesty of of land use you know that like I don't know. This shit would even make, like, Robert Moses spit in his grave, and he basically, like, shoved the city, like, in and out of a goddamn juice tiger. Which, yeah, before the juice tiger was even invented. I think now there'll be, what, a Vitamix if I want to, like, make that a more modern reference? A Nutribullet? Whatever. Um, yeah. He threw it into a high-powered blender. And even that dude would be, like, looking down upon what the hell, like, you know, urban planners and developers have done with these, like, hideous towers that just keep, like, you know, popping up everywhere. Like, like yeah, like, they're herpes. They're the STD of the architectural world. And we're stuck with them. And we're fucking stuck with them. I don't know. Appropriate all these glass towers, you know. They look like fishbowls. Let's turn them into aquariums. Better yet, let's just turn them into giant tree frog habitats. We need more tree frogs and less, you know, billionaires. That'll make everything better. That'll make this, yeah, that'll make this city much more bearable than these freaking monstrosities that aren't even being, like, ill inhabited. At least the tree frogs will actually live there and actually have Manhattan zip code. And they don't pay taxes either, just like the people currently occupying them. All right. So, you want to see more New York City land use and urban planning discourse, make sure to follow my work at homestratosphere.com. Make sure to follow at, uh, at Homestratos on Twitter, and I'll catch you again next time.